Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Once again, joined by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, we haven't done this in a while. We took a break last week with the draft preview extravaganza. Not a ton of new news heading into the draft, but as it turned out, we're here May the 4th. May the 4th be with you, John. We, we oh, were in. Okay. We, yeah, you're welcome. We ended up getting 10 new Chiefs out of the NFL draft. Kind of a surprise, I thought. Yeah, I, I think most people thought the number was going to be more like, you know, eight or nine. Ten was on the high side, I thought, of what we could expect. Um, I, I think people expected Veach to trade up more than he did. Right. And even then, he traded up twice, but it was fairly small jumps this time. I guess, you know, uh, what was it, nine picks in the first round was a fairly good-sized one, but... Uh, but I think people expected more big moves than we saw. And uh, so I, I'm pleased with how it went, honestly. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a, a general marinated discussion about the draft to start the show here. We're going to turn it over to the news. We're going to throw it back to the Brett Veach press conference to outline what we thought was important, play it back for you a little bit, and then we'll finish up the show with a roundtable discussion. We'll actually bring steve back in to discuss our favorite pick our least favorite pick and our value pick of the nfl draft so a jam-packed editor show but first we have to go to the ratings and uh, the reviews we say this all the time if you like the arrowhead pride podcast network leave us a rating on apple itunes especially if it's five stars we will read it on the show this came from jelly raymond Great podcast, he says. Love the Thursday pod with Pete and John. I previously wrote a review about how I felt the Chiefs should take Christian Watson. And wow, did Brett Veach have a heck of a draft. Steal after steal after steal. The Chiefs got sneaky young and good on defense this offseason. So a rave review from Jelly Rayman. I like that name. Yeah. I do Thanks, like that Jelly. Name. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Jelly. Uh, waiting on. This is such a dumb joke. Waiting on the review from Jam, John. Okay, uh, Chiefs number one <laughs> sent this review in, and he just said draft. <laughs> this one's bad. Uh, he gave us five stars. I love the weekly podcast at Arrowhead Pride, but the draft coverage was horrible. The guys were so negative with every pick. They called Karloftis and Oka for replacement and graded more at a C plus. Really? Very disappointing coverage, so not happy with some of the, the bad grades. But look, that's the beauty of Arrowhead Pride. We allow everyone to have their own opinions. The Chiefs, generally speaking, from a national standpoint, for a change, got rave reviews for this draft across the board. I think in the real time, some of our guys who had really dove into this coverage leading into the draft were not thrilled. I know that going in, Karloftis was not a favorite of our Arrowhead Pride draft team. But as we would learn, John, from the Steve Spagnuolo phone call, I don't know if you believe it or not, but Steve Spagnuolo had Karloftis number one as his edge. And I don't know. I watched the call. Did you see this call? It, it seemed like 
Spags was being genuine there, but it, you know, you never know. I, I feel like when you're picking at number 30 and you get your edge guy. Well, you know, just like the individuals who write at AP, coaches are going to have their own views of players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we make a lot of effort every year to try and come up with some kind of a, a consensus analysis of how players will be drafted, how uh, prospects will be ranked in the draft. I go to a lot of trouble to make that thing happen. And uh, but still an individual general manager or coach is likely to have a, a view that varies substantially from that. Right. Um, it's just impossible to predict how these things are going to go. But, you know, that explains why the Chiefs were happy to take Carl Aftis at that point. Right. Yeah. No, no. I 100 percent. And they were able to trade up. And, and I think for the second year in a row and let's get into our our draft conversation now. I think for the second year in a row, we were surprised at the position of the top pick a little bit, but we really shouldn't have been. Do you know what I mean? Like, so last mm-hmm. year, I remember yeah. when they, they took Nick Bolton, we're like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, linebacker does make a lot of sense. They they need to add at the <laughs> linebacker position, but it, it caught us all off guard. This year, we locked in on edge defender, mm-hmm. which is understandable, wide receiver, understandable and they go and not only trade up but they trade up for neither of those positions and go get a cornerback trent mcduffie out of washington is the highlight of this nfl draft class we talked about carl loftus the chiefs followed in the second round with wide receiver sky moore and safety brian cook they went in the third round and got linebacker leo chanal who is going to be a fan favorite i can already tell uh, round four joshua <laughs> williams out of fayetteville state small school they went in the fifth round, and I know this is probably going to be your favorite, John. That's my prediction. But Darian Kennard out of Kentucky, we'll see later in the show if, if he ends up being your favorite. And then in the seventh round, they went and got another cornerback in Jalen Watson with 243. They got a running back, which we nailed that, that prediction with Isaiah Pacheco out of Rutgers. Nobody knows how to spell his first name. And then <laughs> number 259, defensive back, Z Johnson, and he was out of Marshall. So you had 10 picks there, and five of them were defensive backs, including the top pick. McDuffie will be expected to be a, a day-one starter outside. That That's my feel on that sure, one. Yeah. I think George Karloftis will, expected to, will be expected to be a day-one starter at that left defensive end, edge position, even if they were to bring Melvin Ingram back as a rotational veteran guy. And I think Sky Moore will have a, a clear role. The other guys... Uh, our nice depth, and I and I I do like the Brett Beach strategy of going heavy defensive back, uh, and we'll get to it. They ended up trading for a defensive back this week, but it's just throwing a lot of bodies at a position, and, and you know, a circumstances you know you can go after one in free agency. It's really expensive. They clearly liked McDuffie as a day one starter in the NFL draft, and now they're going to go to training camp, and we've seen them do this at other positions, like running back, for example throw a lot of defensive backs to the position and sort of see what sticks here. And I, I think that generally was the overall theme of, of this year's NFL draft. I have to wonder if maybe uh, the Chiefs took a different approach to solving the defensive line problem than we might have imagined. And, you know, maybe this was as much because of the way the draft fell. Um, but, you know, you can argue that by making a substantial pr- improvement at the defensive backs, a position where the Chiefs have traditionally not, well, at least under Brett Veach, traditionally right. not invested a lot of draft capital. 
that by putting some more talent there, they make the job for the for the defensive line easier. You can make that argument. Now, whether or not that was the plan going into the draft, I don't know. Um, you know, it mm. might be that if the board had fallen differently, they might have traded up to get an, an edge rusher. And we'd have an entirely different view of this draft. In fact, it might have played out just as I thought that they'd take edge with their first two picks. Right. You know, uh, suppose that suppose, for example, they were able to trade up for the third or fourth ranked uh, edge player at 21. And then at 30, Carl Aftis is still sitting there. They take him too, you know, or they take Ojabo at that point uh, to take a, a home run swing. So I think a lot of it depends on how the board falls, but I think it's possible to argue that the chiefs may have just decided the way things were that the best thing to do was to, to emphasize the cornerbacks and take less pressure off the defensive line. I've mentioned this before on the podcast and, and radio hits and whatnot, that the chiefs are, you know, much talked about right now is the change of the offense because the offense is going to look significantly different. You know, you have all these targets, Tyree kill 159 targets, uh, you have Pringle and DeMarcus, a combined 100. So those are going elsewhere. So the offense is going to look completely different. But the defense, I- I've said it before, they brought in Joe Cullen. He does his 3-4-4-3 hybrid type of thing. I just think we don't even really know what the defensive line is going to look like. And when your defensive mm-hmm. line yeah. changes and it's more mm-hmm. of like a hybrid exotic type of thing, the entire defense is going to look different. And it did seem there like there was a shift here yes they invested in an edge position which they desperately needed i mean you were looking at a day one where it was going to be frank clark and then mike dana and i like mike dana but am i sure that he's a day one week one Mm -hmm. starter at defensive end no the answer is no uh carloftis am i sure of that either no no one can be but carloftis and i saw this in the airhead pride comments we had a purdue Carloftis came from Purdue. We had a Purdue fan enter our comments, and he said he was dominant early on in his college career, and then they started putting two and three bodies on him. Right Now, if Frank Clark can be decent and Chris Jones can be dominant with a fresh wrist, remember he had torn ligaments in his mm-hmm. wrist all of right. last year, then all of a sudden you're, you have Carloftis against one and two, to, two offensive linemen and blockers. I feel pretty good about him maybe doing something at the pro level again we got a long way to go sure uh, but we know that steve spagnola likes to rotate all of these guys so you n- desperately needed a body there um this is a, a player that was what is a water polo guy he's been playing football for six or seven years so you have some clay that is moldable i think in carl Loftus. and so i i like Trent McDuffie, 5'10", a little bit undersized there for a cornerback, but the Chiefs are just very, very high, and and I don't know. I got the feeling that if he wasn't the top cornerback on their board, they at least would put him in that conversation with uh, a Sauce Gardner, for example, that went in the top 10. Realistically, I mean, that that's how pumped up they were to get him. They, they said that they named about 16 to 18 what they would call first-round grades. Mm-hmm, right. They had one on McDuffie, which is why they traded up from 29 to 21 to go get him. It was it was a bit weird, and it makes you feel dumb as someone who tries to analyze this team because we thought we were you thought the Chiefs were trading ahead of the Green Bay Packers to take the wide receiver, but they were really trading ahead of the Buffalo Bills, right? Who went and got McDuffie. The Bills end up going and getting Alam. So we always talk about the quarterback class and how, like, you know, when quarterbacks are drafted in the same first round, they're always compared for their whole career. These are the two top teams 
in the AFC. And the Chiefs traded up, and instead of taking Elam, they go and get McDuffie. You know that Bills fans uh, really are going to be invested in the cornerback Elam. And the, these two are going to have a little thing, I think, over the years as, as we go. And, and the Chiefs made that decision. I, I think you sometimes see the same thing with Mahomes and Watson, or you know, if you really want to – make fun of Chicago Mahomes and Trubisky I think you get that a little bit and it'll be Chiefs and Bills fans specific but I think they'll be watching this and Elon if you really look some, at some of his footage as well he's a guy that really comes in with a lot of a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and so I, I think it's just going to add to that Chiefs Bills rivalry a little bit you know I would guess that if we sampled every SB Nation podcast for an NFL team this week that there's going to be a discussion about the positions that the team drafted in the early rounds were different than they expected. And I, and I, and I have a reason for this. I've been looking at some numbers for an article that I'm working on. That'll be on arrowheadpride.com later today. But last year there were eight quarterbacks that were expected to go in the first round in the first, uh, the first three rounds. I think it, I think it's the way the calculation works. Eight of 11. This year, there were, what, two or three that were expected to go in the first three rounds? Yeah. And I think that that puts a, you know, if you have that many players that you know are going to go there, people pay a lot of attention to where quarterbacks are going to go. They spend a lot of time analyzing where quarterbacks are going to go. And so those positions are more, they're not set in stone, but you have a clearer idea of how they're going to play out. Well, when there aren't a lot of quarterbacks in the draft, then every pick is wide open, mm -hmm. at least as far as the, the pre-draft analysis is concerned. So I think that's part of what's going on here that went on in the 2022 draft is that because there were so few cornerbacks that gave us, you know, milestones, let's call them, along the way that we could expect to happen, a play out a certain way, every team was like, okay, we don't have to worry about a quarterback. Let's, you know, let's see how this goes. And because that was the case. They didn't know how other teams were going to pick their use their picks either. And so there was a lot more variation, I think, this year across the board than we would typically see. Um, I think that's part of what we saw here. And I think that's part of the reason the Chiefs didn't necessarily go with the, the positions that we thought they would. Uh, you know, going into the draft, everybody's saying, oh, yeah, they're going to trade up and get a wide out. And maybe they would have. If the board had fallen differently, maybe they tried and couldn't get a trading partner at, you know, the 10th or 11th pick uh, in order to get, you know, a guy like Jamison Williams, for example. Maybe they just couldn't make that happen. That's always a possibility. But I think some of it has to do with how much uncertainty there was at each pick in the first couple of rounds. Well, you saw defense start the draft and then there was that offense offensive run and it included a lot of the top wideouts. Yeah. And when all these top tier sure elite guys are gone by what pick 17 or whatever it was it's mm -hmm. really hard at yeah. 29 mm -hmm. to trade up unless you're unless you're taking a big bet but i think when you come out of it and you end up getting 10 players i think to an extent maybe that was always the intention of the chiefs and if you wanted 10 players out of the draft, which they obviously considered pretty deep, then they're not going to sacrifice X amount of picks to go up and get a receiver, right. especially right. when you get to day two. And I probably 
the most shrewd move of the, the draft, and we'll get into it more and more as, as we go along with the show, was having George Pickens on, on the board at 51 saying, okay, um, you know, we, we like Pickens maybe. We like more. Let's trade back, get an additional pick between four and the what was, you know, the four sevens, and let's get an additional pick on, on you know, in that in that day three, the beginning of it, and you end up not only with Sky Moore, who has much cleaner, you know, you, you look at everything, right? So he's got a much cleaner character sure. than Pickens. And as far as a role player goes, maybe a, a better fit slot-wise, and some people think that he has the best hands in the NFL draft. The personnel staff was like, we watched the more tape and we watched it and watched it and watched it and we couldn't find a drop. I mean, how many times with these marginal mm-hmm. receivers or these role player receivers in Kansas City, even with Byron Pringle, who we thought were, was going to be great once he got a, a starting role, we just dropped the football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Demarcus dropping the football, yeah. running backwards. <laughs> Demetrius Harris for all those years. Why is he making the tough catches but drops? The small ones. Right, for the right. Chiefs fans have been around the block here in, in this Andy Reid era. Junior Hemingway, why are you dropping the easy pass? <laughs> why am I mentioning Junior Hemingway? But anyway, wow, a Junior Hemingway mission that doesn't happen every day. No, so <laughs> I like this guy more. Pick. It seems like they like Brian Cook. I'll get into this more too. Joshua Williams. I I, I asked this question with the Brett Reach press conference yesterday, and you can go back from the podium if you want to listen to the whole thing. I, I believe he spoke for about twenty five minutes. Steve put it up there, but. Uh, Joshua Williams, I think they they think this is another luxurious need, at least from what I gathered. And we talked about how McDuffie was undersized at five eleven. They really want to see what they have in Joshua Williams, and he's six foot three, one ninety seven. So, like, even though, and this is this jumped out to me too, John. Even though they went short, they really liked the traits of McDuffie and, and thought he was going to go way before the twenty ninth mm-hmm. pick. Yep. Even though he's a shorter guy. Um, they like him as a day one starter. But if you notice, as they were investing in the defensive back positions, and then we can move on to the rest of the show, they went much taller with yeah. the rest of the defensive backs that you know, they were going after. Joshua Williams came in at 6'3". Jalen Watson in the 7th, 6'3". Uh, Nazee Johnson in the 7th came in at 6'2". Lonnie Johnson, right? He, he's He's a taller player as well who they ended up trading for. So... Yes, the top player is five foot eleven, but I, you know, I think they look at him as more of this honey badger type of guy. Like he's undersized, but he knows he's undersized, and he's going to still beat you. And they really like the upside of him. But they went taller with the rest of the defensive backs. It does, like again, it, it just seems altogether there is a little bit of a, a defensive scheme shift going on. I'm wondering if we're going to get a chance to talk to him at rookie mini camp. I, I don't know if we do. I, I can't really remember, but at least in training camp. I'm very eager for the first Spagnolo presser because he's usually mm. pretty revealing about what's going on. And you, right. you sense that there are going to be some differences to the, the defense this year. Well, you know, I was struck by the uh, there was an interview that uh, came out on the Internet yesterday about uh, from the uh, head coach at Washington. And, you know, this is a school that has been a cornerback factory right. for the NFL. And he was talking about how McDuffie um was studying Tyron Matthew and I think this is part of why the Chiefs were interested in him is that he is a player that might be undersized physically but even Matthew will tell you I mean in the interview he gave to Sam McDowell a few weeks ago he said you know I'm not the biggest guy I'm not the strongest guy 
but I learned how to make plays. And I think right. that's who McDuffie is. And I think that's what I think allowed the chiefs to decide, yeah, this is a guy we want to get. He has that, he has that extra thing that, that Matthew brought to the table. So I think that's part of why they were okay with that. And I think you're right. Later in the draft, they got some taller guys in, so they've got that too. Um, mm. So I think in that respect, it makes a lot of sense. McDuffie unprompted mentioned Matthew in his opening press mm-hmm. Zoom with yeah. the, the media. And, you know, you, you get out of this draft and, you know, you'd start to zoom out and, and look at the offseason as a whole on both sides of the football. The Chiefs are just a young team again. Yeah, I think I think they were like that for a few years. Right. And we were like, wow, this team is young and fun. And then they got a little old. And then (laughs) now you're seeing them go back and turn back the clock and bring in a lot of young players and a lot of young prospects. And I think it's exciting to see what these guys develop into, like a lot of names that you just didn't have uh, before this year. And and I think in a way and, and granted, like, man, I can't tell you enough how fun it's been covering the legion of zoom tyree kill driven sure. chiefs but yeah. there is an aspect i think even as someone who's a reporter of this team blogger radio guy whatever you want to call me podcaster uh that finds this team very exciting because it you know same colors same home stadium but it does feel like a completely new team as you get out of this this draft john well i think you made a real good point about the defensive line perhaps being a lot different this year and I, and I think that's exactly right. I think we're going to see a much more different team this year than maybe we already expected. I mean, I think a lot of people realized uh, that the offense is going to look different, but I think I think the draft tells us that the defense could look a lot different too. I, I completely agree with you there. All right, let's move on and and push forward. We're already running late. I can and we're only twenty minutes into the podcast. That's so the draft, man. <laughs> let's get into the news. We have a lot of segments to get to. Uh, safety tire Matthew finally landed in a new home, and it's and it's with New Orleans. Uh, the New Orleans Saints probably no better fit in the league for Tyron Matthew if he wasn't going to be a a Kansas City Chief. And the deal was for I believe it was three years and thirty one, thirty three. Mm-hmm million dollars which is pretty similar to that justin mm-hmm. reed deal uh so i i think we got to be honest here and even for the chiefs fans who really wanted to see tyron matthew back this is reality the chiefs didn't want him back yeah mm-hmm. they wanted to get younger they wanted a player that would be motivated Justin Reed is, is 25. I think they see him a lot like Tyron Matthew. We got an opportunity to talk to them, talk to him. I didn't know this about him until we spoke to him at the press conference. He's He's got that leadership thing, those leadership qualities. You can really hear that. Uh, he's 25. They signed him to a three-year deal. Matthew's 29, getting a three-year deal. Uh, Matthew has made his money. Justin Reed, don't get me wrong, he's making money with this contract, but he's going to still be ultra motivated at the age of 28 to come out now where Matthew was and make another contract. And he's going to be mm-hmm. a little bit younger, which is pretty shrewd. You know, when you, you talk about a young guy who's trying to do this here. So again, I, I think you're happy for Matthew there. I, I tweeted this out and, and this is something that I, I think fits really well is tired. Matthew in a saints uniform to me is going to look really long wrong, but at the same time, it's going to look really right because even in Kansas City, even in Arizona, that one year in Houston, this is a New Orleans guy. Even right. in Kansas yeah. City, he leaned into the Kansas City community, but he was also doing things at home 
And sometimes things work out that way. I think you have to say, okay, the Chiefs never wanted him back. I think that's true. And you have to say, well, with that being the case, at least he landed in what would be the next best spot or even even still like the perfect spot. He got a Super Bowl here with the Chiefs. Uh, you're going to love him as a player, even as he moves on. And because he's in the NFC, you know, how often are you going to see the Saints? You could really right. continue to root, root him on. So that's it. That's kind of where I landed on this Matthew thing. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that the Chiefs didn't want him. I'd say that the Chiefs didn't want him at that price. You know, uh, I thought it was interesting. Well, if they, in that- if he takes a significant cut, yeah. I mean, you could yeah, say that about yeah, any player. Right. Play. I, agree. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I think that, you know, when, it, when Matthew in that Sam McDowell interview I was referencing earlier said that he would have taken the money that they gave right. Justin Reed at the time, it looked like it was sour grapes. It looked like it was, you know, oh gosh, I screwed up. Uh, but I think that was exactly the calculus that was going on is the Chiefs were saying, this is the money we got. This is the money that we can afford to spend on a cornerback. And we can't really give it to a guy who's 29 years old. That's the bottom line. And in that respect, they didn't want Matthew. Um, And so I think that part of it's fair. But I think when they said that they love him as a man, they love him as a player, they love him on the team. I think they were telling the truth. I don't think the Chiefs were blowing sunshine up our butts here. I think they were saying what they believed, what they thought how they felt about the guy. But at the end of the day, it's a business. And the business decision had to go with somebody like Reed. I can, I, I, I agree to an extent that they love them. I think where I disagree is there are these lingering reports and you have these people that are in the Matthew representation that are coming out and, and are essentially saying he, the Chiefs never really even offered him a deal. Uh, maybe they didn't want to offer an embarrassing deal to your point where they were like, mm-hmm. just going to pay right. him you know, <laughs> close to the veteran minimum or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. Right. I'm sure. There was a number, but the chiefs never came with the deal. At least that's from the Matthew camp. Regardless. Right. I think it, this is a, as happy as an ending as you could possibly get where sure. he does, he does get paid. Mm-hmm. He does get guaranteed yeah. money and he's back home. And I just think it's the ultimate fit. And this is a guy that really thinks he's going to have, what is a pro football hall of fame, like just as, as production wise, as strong a second half of his career as the first half. And he, and he will be doing it uh, for, for the new Orleans saints. And I, I think that that's really great. We, we remember, I, remember we mentioned the number change where he's going to change the number to Woodson's Jersey because he wants to have a great uh, second half of his career. A tweet I just want to bring up before we move on to the, the next news topic is, I saw this and and you got to take Matthew tweets with a grain of salt, but I thought this was an especially <laughs> fitting one where he said uh, potential is not production, which we'll have to review like a year from now. Right. Like right, if right. Preston Reed doesn't really pan out or if McDuffie is not the day one starter that the Chiefs maybe thought. And, you know, let's say the Saints go to the playoffs and win a playoff game, you know, hindsight is 2020, but I. It is worth it's an interesting point. Now, I wouldn't yeah. read into every honey badger tweet, right? Like he tweets <laughs> a lot, he deletes a lot. Uh, but that one to me stuck with me. So I just wanted to mention it before. We could watch. do a whole show every week that's just discussing honey badger tweets. I mean, you that's realize right. that we could have well, a 10 minute discussion on every one of them, probably. Yes, yes. Well, that is no longer our job. So, right, right. Uh, that belongs to the Saints SB Nation block. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, moving on to the next news subject. We'll we'll fly through some of these here. Cornerback Rashad Fenton is currently rehabbing. We didn't know this. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Brett Veach might have revealed it by accident. I, I don't think he <laughs> knew that we didn't know, if you really listened to it from the podium uh, yesterday. And Rashad Fenton missed two playoff games with a back injury or a back issue last year. It was the wild card game, and it was the, the divisional round game. The two wins by the Chiefs came back for the AFC title loss. Uh, but it was a back issue, and this seemed to be a shoulder cleanup, so something we didn't really know about. But Brett Beach is optimistic that he will be available for the beginning of training camp. Does not sound like Fenton will be going through um, what will be like the OTA sessions. He's a key player. Uh, I, even with all these defensive backs, I think he's on the 53-man roster for me, for sure. Uh, it was really emerged last year. He was just like a slot, you know, he's a role player, then a slot guy, and now he's really showing that he can also be an outside cornerback. He's had his vulnerable moments, but I still think he's among the, you know, five or six best cornerbacks on the team. Well, as you noted, we didn't know about this, and the Chiefs did know about it. And here they went and kind of doubled down on cornerback uh, right. in the draft. So, you know, I think that might have been part of the thinking as well, as we don't know where Fenton is going to be and uh, how well he'll come back from this injury. So it doesn't hurt us to have some more depth guys in there just in case that's the way it plays out. I, I, you know, again, we don't always know everything that's on the table when they're making these selections in the draft. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a case where that was a piece of information that they had that we didn't have and it helped us uh, kept us from seeing exactly what might be coming. Well, there's no shortage of defensive backs. They might as well nope. hire another coach because they're, they're going to miss Sam Madison this year because they need to split these guys up. Uh, moving on to the next uh, story here for, for the news portion, the chiefs go and, and make a trade for another defensive back. Speaking of needing bodies just in, in these camps, Lonnie Johnson jr. Uh, from the Texans, the Chiefs sent a 2024 conditional seventh rounder. So if you're unfamiliar with conditional, that means Lonnie is going to have to play a certain number of snaps or games or starts or something for them to even get the seventh rounder two years from now. So yeah. this is the definition of low risk. I would go as far as to say absolutely no risk because you can cut right. this player without even thinking. It is, it's not going to cost you anything. And low price, it's a, a guy that also is unhappy with his, his last team in the Texans. He was moved between safety and corner, came out as a cornerback, then moved to safety, moved back to cornerback, moved back to safety. Really hasn't been given a a position to, to lean into. I'd imagine the Chiefs are going to see him as a cornerback. I think they'll probably lean that way, but you know we won't be able to really know until OTAs begin. We get to talk to these guys. Uh, but he seems very eager to be reunited with Justin Reed, who he has called mm -hmm. John his his evil twin. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, Lonnie Lonnie Johnson also tweeting at Travis Kelsey, asking him if if they're cool now. And Kelsey <laughs> said, "Indeed, yeah, we are. We're good to go." Oh man. Well, you know that's part of the trouble uh, is that uh, we will see. Uh, see Lonnie Johnson forever through the lens of that play in the right. playoff game between he and Kelsey. But of course he's much more than that. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's got a whole, what, three-year career now uh, sure. that does, that's just, that's a whole different animal than what happened in that playoff game. You can't blame chiefs fans for focusing on that, but uh, you know, the chiefs have been paying attention to this guy for a while. That's been made pretty clear by the statements 
uh, that Veach has made and that others have made, that they've been paying attention to this player for a while. They've liked him, and they had an opportunity to, that they were talking about getting him last year up at the trade deadline and didn't. Right. So, uh, you know, this is somebody that they like, and uh, maybe he'll be a different player for the Chiefs. Maybe he won't be. We'll just have to see. Right, and and this is someone that Brett Veach obviously had high grades on coming mm-hmm. out. It, it seems yeah. like they visited with him. It, this would be considered a, a Brett Veach special. Yes. The hard truth sometimes about the Veach special is that a lot of them don't pan out. Well, Some of them do, uh, where you're able to get worthy snaps of, of guys, and, and they're hoping that with Johnson. My, you know, my quick twitch reaction of this is there's just too many defensive backs with upside in camp for Johnson to make this team. I, I you know, I was really looking at it. I, I think there's only going to be like three or four defensive back spots. Uh, you know, you include Bush in that as well. You're probably down to three spots. Is Johnson really going to make the team? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But that's going to be a, you know, if, if there's any position group, I, I think for really watch a training camp, it's going to be defensive backs. It's going to be very, yeah. very interesting. And another one is wide receiver because, you know, we know who the top four wide receivers are going to be. Top five, you could say uh, there there's going to be battles for that five and six spot. And now wide receiver Justin Ross, uh, who comes out of Clemson, really interesting story where he had a what he had to have like a spinal fusion surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got lost in the shuffle a little bit, ended up missing entire 2020. 2021 at Clemson was cut short, looked really promising as a, a young player, as a freshman. And so now he's a member of the Kansas City Chiefs. You have folks out there floating reports that he's revved up, ready to go. Uh, this is another example of a low risk, high reward uh, in the sense of you're bringing in an undrafted free agent. And we have seen the Chiefs really nail some of these undrafted free agents. So you know, I think you look at these two players on both sides of the football, Johnson with the trade and then Ross, this UDFA out of Clemson. Um, Clemson calls itself wide receiver university. Who knows if Justin Ross can sneak on this team with the initial 53. Well, and uh, someone made the point, was it one of our people that made the point in Slack that uh, it'd be awful to have for Cornell Powell to have <laughs> to not make the Chiefs because Justin Ross is here. You know, that's the guy that he was behind Cornell, at Clemson for all those years. Cornell Powell was, <laughs> you know, it, it is funny. Cornell Powell was, you know, just a mess. And and the Chiefs have kept him in. I think he'll get a shot, you know, this year. We'll see if he comes into camp uh, in better shape. But that's another really competitive position. You know, we talked about yeah. defense backs in three spots. So, look, let's let's go through it quickly here. The receivers we know are making the team, right? You have the, mm-hmm. the big three. It's crazy to put McColl in this right now. <laughs> McColl, Hardman, uh, MBS, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, and then you have Sky Moore making the team. That's certain. And then it's, I think they keep six receivers. And, you know, we, we talked about Justin Ross, but you have... Powell, who we mentioned, mm-hmm. yeah. Defoe, an Arrowhead Pride favorite who made the 53 last year. Uh, you have these guys that are on their second chance and Corey Coleman and Josh Gordon. Uh, forever keeping the dream alive is the sheepdog, Garrick Dieter. <laughs> and then you have just a bevy of receivers who, you know, we don't know as much about like Jennings and, and Sexton and Watson and Bayless. I'm counting here. That's three, six, nine, 12, 15 receivers. Uh, they mm-hmm. just ended up cutting... The slippery fox yesterday, Finky, Chris Finky. Uh, so no, no team for for the slippery fox. But uh, what a battle there! Um, you know, you're talking about. I'm going to do some quick math here. Fifteen minus four, that's eleven. That's eleven guys for what will be two spots, John. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's going to be a battle to watch. A, a big one is going to be an important. But you know, this is not unusual. The Chiefs always have 
way more receivers than they need when they go into camp because they always want to look at as many people as they can and have as many targets as they can uh, for Mahomes and these other quarterbacks to throw to. That's part of what goes on at training camp is you got all these scrimmages going on simultaneously. I think it's something that we tend to forget from the outside that that 90-man roster is as much about looking at people as it is about having the right number of people to go and do all the things that you want to do in camp. Um, and, and that's really the purpose of a camp body. That's what some of these people will be, but some of them will have an actual shot to make one of those last two spots. It's going to be interesting to watch. And the Chiefs have been really shrewd in, in years recently with their practice squad. You know, I think mm-hmm. you're going to look at it like yeah. you'll have two or three of these receivers, two or three of these defensive backs in the practice squad. Injuries happen. They'll stay with the team. You know, who knows if you have some de- developmental guys there as well. The practice squad through COVID has been expanded, so just a deeper roster. And, you know, I, I think, I think that'll be something to watch. And I like the strategy, you know, I have to say this, like, I really like bringing in a ton of these receivers and a ton of these defensive backs, because you know, when you're talking about two receiving positions or three defensive back positions, two or three of these guys are going to look good once they get coaching and yeah. they're not going for these starting spots they're just going for the depth spots. So bring in bodies and figure it out that way. I, I really like it. I think the only thing that's missing from this team, and and well, this is a tease for a, a little bit here, is just getting Melvin Ingram back, and then you feel pretty good about this roster. So let's let's move on to um, the next news piece before we we get into Ingram and and the Brett Veach press conference and everything. No international game for the Chiefs. The NFL announced that the Chiefs won't be playing internationally. There were there was a thought that they would be included in in the Germany game because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and the Chiefs both have rights to market internationally in Germany, as do the Carolina Panthers and New England Patriots. Of the scheduled games, the Bucks and the Chiefs were the only game featuring two of the four German teams. So I got to be honest, and this is more business inside football. If you're Kansas City and you're trying to really, I think, build your brand internationally you got to be a little annoyed that the nfl <laughs> put drew lock and the seattle seahawks against the bucks instead of of you uh i, I think in talking to clark Hunt on last friday i think he kind of knew that the chiefs were, were missing out this year because he, he basically said we're hopeful but we think it'll be something where we get in the next two to three years uh something tells me he knew and yeah. i can kind of sense that a little bit and so no international game all 17 games will be on united states soil well if he didn't know he might have had an idea but you know this is just like the draft you know yeah. it, it, it when we're trying to analyze it ahead of time we look at that that matchup between the chiefs and, and the the buccaneers and go well this is obviously the game is going to be played in germany and that makes a whole lot of sense but what there's so many factors involved in putting together the schedule maybe the nfl did that Maybe they had a bunch of schedules that they looked at that had the Chiefs and Buccaneers playing in Munich, but it had several other things about it that didn't work for the league. They didn't have, you know, because that one little cog can mess up a whole bunch of other stuff. And the league is mostly interested in having great TV matchups uh, for every network every week because that's what makes them their money is keeping the networks happy. So uh, maybe that would have been great for the international game, but uh, it caused some other problems down the line. Now, having said, and I'll amplify your point about being peeved about uh, not getting an opportunity to play in Germany right after you get this marketing rights deal. Even worse than that, Brady gets the inside move here 
right. he gets the opportunity to go play in Germany before Mahomes does. So I'm with you. I, I think the Chiefs have every right to be peeved about this. But but what are you going to do? The schedule's complicated, and uh, it just didn't work out that way. Just from a business standpoint, being first is everything. Yeah, I, I, yeah. This is not going to make way. This story is not going to make waves in Kansas City because it really has nothing to do with the team and being a, a Chiefs fan. And as a matter of fact, I I rightly think that a lot of Chiefs fans are going to be happy that the I, Chiefs. Oh are yeah. Not. Yeah. Because now they could maybe go to Tampa and watch this Brady Mahomes matchup that we never thought we'd get again, right? So, right. you know that that's cool. Tampa is much more affordable than going to Munich, believe it or not. <laughs> so that's good. Thing. It is. Wow. But Ooh. what I'd say is, yeah, <laughs> I, I think the Chiefs are are ticked off about this because it does yeah. give the Buccaneers of the four teams a significant advantage. If you're going mm-hmm. to your first NFL game, and the Bucks are the home team, you may just become a Bucks fan, right? So, yeah. I don't know. I I got to think Clark Hunt is going Raj. Not cool, bro. You better make this up to me in some, in some capacity. Uh, by the way, our great British Chiefs, who I'm sure will go to at least one or two of these games, get the Vikings and Saints, Giants and Packers, and Broncos and Jaguars. So I wonder if Tom and Brad are going to go to one of these games or multiple. Uh, I'd say the best one of those, just looking at it, is probably... Well, I don't know. It definitely isn't Giants-Packers because I am not a Daniel Jones guy. It's either... You get Cousins or or Jameis, or you get Russ Wilson versus Trevor Lawrence with Doug Peterson. Now, you well, know by good. the time by yeah. the time we get to October thirtieth, the ja- the Jaguars may not be a complete joke. So Wilson Lawrence may be a lot more interesting um, when we get to that juncture. I guess right now you'd have to say Cousins and Winston on October second, but we'll see if they end up going to any of those games. I'm sure they're a little bit disappointed. I wonder if they were going to go maybe to Munich if, if that game was available but hey that's why you listen to the great british chief show right here on the arrowhead pride podcast network absolutely the chiefs slapped the un, unrestricted free agent tag on melvin ingram um which john and i didn't know exist existed yeah. uh so we'll talk about that when we get to bread feast you're listening to the arrowhead pride editor show back here on the arrowhead pride editor's show pete sweeney john dixon it's our draft reaction show it's been a few days now since the NFL draft, Brett Veach spoke to the media on Tuesday. And the first thing that he really leaned into was the idea that, yeah, this was a, a defensive draft. I mean, I, I listen, I think it was always at the forefront. I don't know if it was um, as a dramatic of a mindset, like what we experienced in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, that was just kind of a perfect storm of guys that, we had that had played a lot of football for us in particular, the tackle position that got hurt um, one that ended up retiring. And, and we were just, we got really old really quick. And, and that was a situation where when you combine that with the best player in the league and a franchise quarterback, I mean, that's kind of, let's go, let's go. This obviously, I mean, you know, we have to have balance on both sides of the football and we wanted to, you know, upgrade um, the youth, the talent and the depth on the defensive side. And, you know, we also did some stuff offensively, in free agency, you know, we brought in Juju and we brought in MVS and we brought in Rojo and we were able to re-sign Henny and, and, and Wiley. So, um, you know, I think we look at things um, on both ends, both the draft and free agency. And, and certainly the draft was geared more toward defense. And I think it's a combination of, of us wanting to certainly get better and get deeper and younger. Um, but, you know, had we not been able to sign the Schusters and the MVSs and the Rojos. I mean, maybe it, it deviates a little, but I think it's just a combination of both processes. And John, I think that speaks to your point in the idea of it was only a defensive draft because 
the Chiefs made the free agency moves that allowed them to have a defensive draft. You have mm-hmm. Brett Beach talking about, well, we got Hardman and Juju and MVS and kind of switching gears, in, in my opinion, on, on this point in particular. I think it just shows you how high the personnel staff is on this new offense. And we're always talking about these new receivers. I think sometimes, and, and it's crazy that that we do this, but we like forget that Travis Kelsey is basically one of the best receivers in the NFL. Right. So if you put Travis Kelsey, let's say he's, let's just say this for, and I know Cody Tapp of 610 Sports Radio has, has said this for a year now, but let's say Travis Kelsey's wide receiver one. Then all of a sudden mm-hmm. that room looks pretty damn good. And then you are able to spend all these picks on defense and sprinkle in a sky more to make the, the offense even per a little bit more. And so I, I like the take from, from Brett Beach last year, we saw them say, we're going to scrap this entire O line and rebuild it from scratch. And I think you really saw them say, we're going to do the same thing on the defensive side of the football, not just one position. We're going to really address every single level. Well, he did say before the draft that he thought it needed improvement at every level. Uh, that was a pretty clear quote that he gave us before the draft. So it, it, in a sense, it isn't that surprising in that way. And I would just make a point too that the Chiefs have two players on the defensive line that we don't know much about. Uh, one of them is Josh Kando, who played some last year, but spent most of the time uh, injured. And so we don't really know what he's capable of being. We thought he was a raw prospect coming out. So uh, we know that it was going to take some development before he could be a really good player, but he could be somebody the Chiefs expect to do a lot better. And then the big, the big unknown is Malik Herring, who spent the entire season uh, in 2021 on the sidelines as a red, basically a red shirt year, as we'd put it in college terms. And he is another player that the Chiefs may be looking to get a lot of contribution from in the coming season and may have had some bearing on why they didn't get another defensive end in the draft. But, you know, we'll see. These guys are both unknowns. They may not pan out at all. Yeah, you know, and I, I think also, too, spending a first-rounder on an edge prospect, regardless of Joshua Kando being a mid-round pick, does light a little bit of a fire there. And you're always trying yeah. to have this competition when you're entering this part of the year and the offseason and training camp and same thing with Herring. And, I mean, we've seen the Chiefs do this where once you get to camp, it doesn't really matter when you were drafted. Now, I don't see right. cutting Carl Loftus. I'm not saying that. Uh, but what I mean is <laughs> any of these guys can emerge and, and make a team. Yeah. And if they need mm-hmm. to make a tough decision and say, you know, maybe we'll take one less defensive back, you can make a team that way. And so, man, really competitive. Again, we, we've mentioned wide receiver and defensive back. But also, it is going to be interesting to see what they do with this defensive line. I, I believe they usually take about 10 defensive linemen. So there is room for a lot of these guys to, to make the roster. We talked about it uh, leading into the break, but Melvin Ingram and this unrestricted free agent tag. John, you know more about this, so let's play Brett Veach, and then we'll have you you take it from there. So here is Brett Veach on Melvin Ingram and what's going on with that UFA tag. Well, that's something um, our cap guys, uh, Brent Tilson, Chris, they do a great job of. It was an idea. It was an idea or concept that we talked about, I would say, maybe a week or two before the draft. Um, just as a possibility. And then we decided to, um, to do that. Um, you know, as far as where he stands, it's, it's always a little bit different and unique with these veteran guys. I mean, Melvin's a guy that he's played a lot of football. He's accomplished a lot. And, um, you know, I don't think he's in a rush. And we knew that when the free agency period started, that he wouldn't be in a rush, that he would take his time. Uh, if it made sense for him, um, he would do something. Um, we've been in contact with his agent. Um, if, 
if there was something that made sense for us, we, we would definitely want them back. And I think what this UFA tender does, it, it allows us um, the ability to communicate and not have either, you know, either him or his agent do something without us um, being in the mix. And I think that's what we wanted. You know, we don't know where this is going to go. Um, I can say that we would love to have him back and it would make sense for us. But uh, regardless, I think now it at least allows us um, a chance to have dialogue with them before they decide to do anything, if they decide to do something somewhere else. Yeah, this is a very interesting situation. Uh, I don't think we're the only ones that were surprised by the existence of this particular uh, feature of the of the collective bargaining agreement. Basically, teams can uh, take a guy who has just completed a contract with them and is currently a free agent out there talking to other teams. And after the draft, the day after the draft, or actually before the deadline on the Monday following the draft, they can place a tender on this guy. And the minimum is set by uh, the amount of money he made last year, the amount of salary he made the year before. And it could be more than that. We don't know exactly what this tender offer is for uh, for Melvin Jones. Um, it probably Melvin is Ingram. not really high because he just he just signed it right now. He'd be playing it. He'd be on the roster right now if that were the case. But this gives them the opportunity to uh, to get him at a. It would probably be a, a good price for the Chiefs. And if he signs someplace else for more money, then the Chiefs get a comp pick. If they hadn't done this and uh, jo- and uh, and he signed someplace else this year, then there would have been no comp pick, comp pick possibility for the Chiefs from Ingram signing elsewhere. So this is a really good move for the Chiefs. And probably it's very possible that this was something that uh, the Chiefs and Ingram's representation cooked up. In a sense, it's just giving them a backup position if they can't find another team that will give them the money that they want. You said uh, for a second there, Melvin Jones. And if there was a player that was a combination of (laughs) Melvin Ingram and Chris Jones, I would be interested in bringing him aboard with (laughs) that Melvin Anger and Chris Jones youth and skill. (laughs) Yeah, bring him on. Uh, But no, I, I, you know, getting back to it, I think what was interesting about this is, is Veach's words on saying, we just want to be involved. And yeah, you wonder what's going on between the chiefs and the agent. And it seems like now they have to be, and the agent will be calling the chiefs and trying to figure this thing out. And it's a very intriguing tag that again, we didn't really know was a thing and we'll see how it plays out. But for those fans that are worried, well, is he just going to sign elsewhere? Well, now he can't necessarily do that unless the chiefs are going to get this pick back. So, um, something to follow. And I, I would, I would guess that in the comp formula, if he did sign elsewhere, what would this be? Maybe like a fifth or sixth or sixth pick or I don't know. You know, I don't know. Yeah, Well, I mean, I, he's going to have to make more than I think three and a half million dollars for it to matter at all, but at least okay. the potential is there. Yeah. Uh, we don't know exactly what comp pick formula is. It's a big secret. Okay. Yeah. But but we know that if the salary is less than three and a half million dollars, it's not going to matter. And that might happen. He might sign a deal with another team for three million dollars this year, and then it's it's not going to matter. But if he signs for four or five million, which is within the realm of possibility, then the Chiefs would get a comp pick. And it might be earlier than the one they got this year, which was in the seventh round. It could be fifth or sixth round. 
right. we don't really know, but it it'll be better than we're, it'd be a better situation than they're in now. That's all we know for sure. As long as as Ingram makes that kind of money, and in the meantime, if he doesn't, the Chiefs will get a good deal on him. This is a this is a great move by Veach. I'm just really impressed with it. We mentioned before the sky. More pick the Chiefs traded back and they held mm-hmm. their breath for a few picks and were still able to get a wide receiver they liked in more and that was in the second round. But what they got from the Patriots in return was pick 145 uh, in the fifth round. They didn't have a fifth rounder. They used it to draft offensive lineman Darian Kennard. If you looked at the TV and the internet right away, the NFL and ESPN were listing Kennard as a guard despite him playing right tackle at Kentucky. And the Chiefs have backtracked on that since Saturday, and it continued with general manager Brett Veach yesterday. Yeah, I think we do. I mean, and that's our plan when we drafted him. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk as, you know, is he a is he a tackle? Is he a guard? And, um, you know, I think we feel confident they can play guard. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy that has log- logged a ton of starts at right tackle. Um, you know, there's some cleanup work that he needs to do. We have a great coaching staff. We have a great um, group of guys in that room that are really experienced. And, um but I think, you know, anytime you can go and play right tackle successfully at an SEC level, um, more often than not, that'll translate to the pro level. Now, it'll be a jump just like all these colleges are um, when you're moving from, you know, um, moving up to the NFL. So it's not like it's going to be easier. But I think if there's one conference that gives you a sense of uh, sense of hope and, you know, sense of encouragement is, you know, if you can line up at right tackle and, and I think we all saw that Georgia defensive line last year, if you can line up and play against defensive fronts uh, of that caliber, I mean, you're certainly going to have a shot. Again, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy and it might be rough at the beginning, but I think he's, I certainly think he's athletic enough. He's certainly long enough and we love his length. Um, and, you know, Orlando Brown, people thought he wasn't athletic to play tackle, but I think when you have size length and you're wired the right way, you put those guys around the right coaching, I think they can become very successful. And I think that's kind of where we're going with, um, with Darren. So John, you've been all over this with Kennard, uh, and we'll see if he ends up being your favorite pick in the next segment. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, but this is very clearly someone that they see as a candidate to compete with Andrew Wiley. I've mentioned on the show, I, I think the chiefs are optimistic about Lucas Niang's rehab. I personally don't think he's going to be ready to go in a game until like week four, week five earliest. And so I think in this in camp, it's really going to be Kennard versus Wiley to see if the rookie can come in and take that spot. And he's certainly ticked off enough, uh, it seems. <laughs> he's already compared himself to Trey Smith. He didn't like yeah. falling. Uh, and so we'll see if Kennard uh, can, can do this. Yeah, there's a lot to like about this situation. Uh, first, the, the value the Chiefs got. If you if you're a fan of paying attention to draft pick value, uh, this is a tremendous pick. And I think it's I think it's important to note that the Chiefs actually got the 158th pick and traded up to the 148, the 145th to get Kennard. And this was something that uh, Sperduto talked about uh, on right. Saturday was that. Uh, they didn't think he was going to last another 15 and 20 picks, which suggests that the Chiefs had targeted this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that goes to your point that uh, Niang may not be ready to play uh, mm-hmm. either in training camp or perhaps even by week one. And so the competition may end up being between uh, uh, between Andrew Wiley and Kennard, who and then and that's going to be an interesting battle. Uh, it just depends on how healthy Niang is as we go into the into the training camp. 
And that's not to say Andrew Wiley's not going to make this team. I think he certainly will. I think the Chiefs really like him as a reserve player that can go in anywhere but center. He's a former Mackley mm-hmm. Hill Rookie of the Year. He's a good player, yeah. but he's certainly, I think, a little bit, he leaves a little bit to, to be desired when it comes to a starter. And so I think they're going to see if Kennard ends up having that upside. So those are three quotes from Brett Veach. It was a, a pretty good presser. He's usually pretty revealing about this team. If you want to go back and listen to the full thing, you can go back right here on the Airhead Pride Podcast Network and check out From the Podium. When we come back, we will have a draft roundtable. Bring in Steven Serta. Stay with us. This is the Airhead Pride Editor Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, we're wrapping up with a roundtable here uh, with myself, my esteemed deputy editor, uh, John Dixon, and our podcast producer, not so esteemed, uh, Steven Serta. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Uh, you got you to be here at least a couple of years before you get that out of steam status. Uh, we're going to name our favorite pick of the draft, our least favorite, least favorite pick of the draft, and then what we believe was a value pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. And so, John, let's see if I'm right. I've been teasing it all show. Who was your favorite pick of this NFL draft? Well, it, I, I, it's hard for me not to go with uh, Kennard here. It really is. I it. But, and I, but, I, but I also think that um, the – this Leo Chanel is a very interesting pick. Oh Lots no, value there. I'm wrong. And, uh, and he's, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I'm just saying that th- this is a tough call for me because I think this guy could end up being quite a player for Kansas city. And he's certainly going to be a fan favorite, I think, but just strictly uh, on the value of it, I think this was a spectacular move they made to get this, uh, this, Kentucky offensive lineman. And so I'm going to have to go there too. I, I think I have to go there just as you expected. Oh, so I was just correct. I do like yeah, you I'm mentioning. Just, I'm just saying it's a contest. That's I all. do. I do like you mentioning Chanel. Uh, it, Chanel is six feet, two inches, 261 pounds. Um, he's from the Wisconsin. He's basically the 2022 version of Mike Mislowski. <laughs> and he's going to be a run stopper. And he said at the draft fest the other day that he is he loves violence. <laughs> and the crowd went nuts. Uh, reminded me of the Roman Coliseum. And so I think he'll definitely be a fan favorite. But to get a potential starter, which the Chiefs have been doing now for a few years running, and possibly in Canard in the fifth round, I do like the pick. Steve, let's move on to your favorite pick of the NFL draft for the Chiefs. So I, I do really like the Chiefs draft class. And like John said, I think Kennard is just screams like that guy is going to be your starting right tackle. Mm-hmm. Like he's just a total Chiefs pick. And you trust that they develop those mid to late round offensive linemen as well as any team in the NFL. So I do really like him. And I think he's going to have a major role on this team. But for me, I'm all about offense. I'm all about fantasy points. I'm all about scoring touchdowns. And so for me, it's Sky Moore. And throughout the draft process, he was somebody like at first, I was like, oh, I don't know if I love him. I feel like people are falling in love with him because there's like a Tyreek Hill body comparison there almost. But as I looked into him more and learned more about him, I was like, man, this guy can play. And Obviously, he's not the Tyreek Hill kind of speed. Nobody is like you're just not going to be able to replicate that or replace that. But what I like about Sky Moore and especially getting him in the second round and trading back and still being able to get him and the Chiefs saying, like, we're fine not taking a George Pickens, even though um, you know he was still available. And I really like George Pickens as a prospect. 
I think Sky Moore is a guy that is ready as a route runner to like get open in the NFL on day one. And I'm excited to see how they scheme things up with him on offense. So I actually think it's a steal. I know our, our draft crew in the AP draft room, they were a little down on the pick, but I really, really like Sky Moore as a prospect. Well, Chiefs number one in our reviews would, would let you know he's not happy with the, the reviews, I guess I should say, of the draft <laughs> prospect. I like Sky Moore. I like the new offense. I, I really think it's going to be a lot more balanced. I think instead of the Hill or Kelsey show each week, right? Like we went into past, what, 80 games of the Kansas City Chiefs. Is it going to be Hill or is it going to be a Kelsey week? Is it going to be Hill or going to be Kelsey? I think you might see a week where it's Juju. I think you might see a week where MBS goes off. I think you might see a week where it's Scott, touch the sky, touch the sky more. I think McCole Hardman could have a yards from scrimmage week where Hardman just gashes you. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows if it's yeah. a Rojo week or a CEH. And I think that'll just make the Chiefs a, a lot more, um, I, I think, fluid of an offense. And I think more will fit right into that because he doesn't have to be the guy, right? Like this is someone that they can kind of develop and see what he is. And man, there's a lot of different places to throw the football. The only, you know, huge threat right now seems to be Travis Kelsey. And if you're going to double up Kelsey, I think there's a lot of, pass catchers and running backs on this team that could that could do some damage i, I do like the more pick um gonna say mcduffie not that i like love mcduffie i just love the fact that we're finally getting a brett veach announcing himself in the first round pick if you know you really go these past couple of years 19 they didn't have a pick because of mahomes um the you know the or 20 when did they do they ended up trading it for uh what was it frank clark orlando brown jr last year so I think you finally had Brett Beach announcing himself and saying, no, we're not only going to like this guy in the first round, we're going to trade up to go and get him. And he picked McDuffie over Elam. I talked about that earlier. I think it's it's nice to see Brett Beach finally going out on a limb and saying, this is my guy calling his shot in a sense. And we're going to be able to see if he ends up being that day one starter. And and he hasn't had this challenge yet because he's traded right. it for contributors where he has to be. You traded up to go get him. You picked him over other cornerbacks that were interesting. Like, I like it. Uh, I, I like the gall to go do it. And I also like the immediate shattering of the like, we don't invest premium picks narrative because Veach said that in the offseason. And you're like, whatever, dude, until you do it, we're just going to assume you don't <laughs> like to spend on a day one pick on a on a defensive back. But there he goes and calls a shot. So I think that's a very interesting part of uh, the NFL draft. All right. Uh, if you are again that that salty reviewer, I would shut off the podcast now because it's time to name your <laughs> least favorite uh, draft pick. Steve, I'll go to you. Uh, well, it's the player that you just named and uh, uh, the Chiefs <laughs> first overall pick, uh, in cornerback Trent McDuffie. Um, yeah, we were doing a twitter spaces for sb nation so there's audio out there of me reacting live to this <laughs> and I, I i was totally <laughs> deflated um <laughs> i think that he's got a chance to be a, a strong starting caliber nfl quarter cornerback i just don't know like he he's not the traditional size length type of defensive back that they've put into these spag systems and so it, it's not necessarily that i don't like the pick it's the trading up to get him, like you mentioned, like right. it, it just goes against the body type that they've traditionally drafted. And with Brett Veach, like that cornerback is like the one position that you've had success attacking outside of the top end of the NFL draft or, or trading and acquiring, you know, former first round picks or, or high upside athletic right. corners. 
and developing them. Like, it seems like that's the position where like on the offensive side of the ball, offensive line, they've done a really good job of that stuff. It seems like cornerback is a position where they've had success doing all of that stuff. So trading up to go get him isn't something that I necessarily love for a player that I don't necessarily view is like having truly elite upside. Okay. All right. Hmm. I don't, I I don't love the fact that you immediately went least favorite to my favorite, John. (laughs) We'll get to you. (laughs) Well, I didn't have a D Ford moment at any point during the draft. I think that's what Steve had was a D D Ford moment. It's like, what, what? (laughs) That's what it sounds like to me. I didn't have one of those. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go against uh, Steve's favorite pick here and say that Sky Moore is my uh, my least favorite, but okay. not because I don't think he's gonna play well. I think he's gonna play well. I think the Chiefs have taken a good player here. What disturbs me about it is that we're back to this gadget player narrative, and that's maybe a silly thing to make it my least favorite pick, but but I'm just really tired of it. I'm tired of DeAnthony Thomas's. And and Tyreek Hills and Nicole Hardman's and these, you know, these undersized players that the Chiefs get and they end up being returners. And then people start calling them gadget players. I'm just tired of it. And that's just, you know, that's just me. It's all about me. That's what what you're asking is my opinion. And I'm just tired of this gadget player nonsense. And I wish they'd have gotten a guy that they could that everybody could be saying was an ex receiver so that finally. (laughs) <laughs> coming out of the draft, we couldn't be talking about a damn gadget player. It does seem like there are a lot of weapons, and, and this is to your point, John, it does seem like there are a lot of weapons on the offense right now that do one thing, whereas Tyreek Hill was really, he developed into a complete receiver that did a lot. And so you're going to need one of these guys to really emerge. Like MBS is going to have to be more than a deep threat. Maybe Juju can be more than this intermediate guy, right? Like McCole Hardman cannot be a gadget guy. He sort of has to be a complete receiver now. Uh, you can make the same thing for you can make the same case that you just made for for Sky Moore. I guess my least favorite pick is the last pick in Johnson, uh, just another defensive back out of Marshall. Mm. How many defensive backs do you do you need? Like maybe there was another position at that point where you could you could go. I understand it was like the fourth to last pick of the draft. So the the picks that followed were the Chargers with Horvath, a fullback out of Purdue. I'm not going to pretend to know anything about these guys for for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> Our Curie, an offensive tackle out of Michigan State, and then Mr. Irrelevant was the 49ers pick of quarterback Brock Purdy out of Iowa State. So just those positions, right? Uh, our Curie, again, I don't know anything about him, but I think a, like another tackle may, maybe would have like made a little bit more sense to me than the 17th defensive back in Johnson. But who knows? Maybe Johnson comes out of the woodwork and ends up miraculously making the team as like the this, this super special teamer or something that, that, that Uncle Dave wanted or, or something like that. So I guess that would be my least favorite pick. Let's go to the value pick of the NFL draft class. John, I'll go to you. Got to be canard. I mean, there's just no way around it. And I think there's an additional aspect to this that we're going to look back on in the years to come. And that was the Chiefs trading back four slots with the Patriots to pick up this fifth round pick. Because without that pick, canard's not on the team. It's just that simple. They wouldn't have had any picks between the fourth round and the seventh round. And all we'd be talking about is those three players they took. Maybe they would have taken that offensive tackle. And for what uh, it's with, worth, like seventh rounders are not worth as much as, as people think. You can't just like swap seventh rounders and then get into the fifth round because a lot of yeah. these guys will just be available UDFA. So uh, it was a very shrewd move to get a fifth rounder and then still get Sky Moore. I mean, regardless of how you feel about him. Right. And then to get this player later who could end up being 
a long-term starter for the Chiefs. We don't know that. Let's mm-hmm. just start right there. We don't know that. But I think, it, 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 just numerically speaking, he was the best value of the draft for the Chiefs. And I think that as time goes on and we look back at how the Chiefs got to the point that they could make that pick, we're going to appreciate what a smart move it was uh, to make that trade back in the in the third round, right? No, it was the, it was the second round. Second <laughs> it round. gets yeah. confused now. Yeah, just you it, know, you traded back four slots, you got the extra pick, and and that ended up being uh, Darian Kennard. All right, Steve, let's go to your value pick. I really like where John went with Kennard. Uh, like, I, I really agree that it seems like that guy's going to wind up just being a player for the Chiefs for for a while, just based on their track record of developing offensive linemen. But I also really like the Joshua Williams pick Mm -hmm. and I I, I like it kind of for the reasons that I didn't love the uh, (laughs) Trent McDuffie pick because Joshua Williams seems like he is a typical mid round Brett Veach chiefs organization draft pick, like from a smaller school who's got high upside athletic traits that they can really develop. And we've seen them have a lot of success in doing that with Legarius Sneed, Rashad Fenton, and Charvarius Ward, who was an undrafted player that you traded nothing for. Like, I, I think that Joshua Williams has the makings of another one of those Chiefs special cornerbacks that they get late in the draft, and he's got the physical traits that they can really develop, and he'll wind up being like a long-term player for them. I love the points that you guys have mentioned. Kennard, uh, especially if he becomes a starting right tackle, is is such a value pick joshua williams in in the idea that he could be the next need that they get and, and they get a little bit taller in the cornerback room i i think is huge and it's that it you're, you see the chiefs do this a lot with you know what is what is what is fayetteville state we don't even know what that is like they <laughs> went and they they said we're going to lean in on the traits just like they did with legerius need out of the small school um louisiana right louisiana tech am i getting that right what was Legarius needs? Uh, I think that's power. right. Yeah. Yeah. Louisiana. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah. So another small school and they said, no, we, we like the player. And you heard the scout talk uh, during the weekend and it's like, well, they're, you know, they're not going up against uh, an Alabama. So it's tough, but you just look at like the break on the ball and the footwork and, and whatnot. And and the thing that Brett Beach said about Josh Williams was that he struggled early in senior bowl week. And then as it went on, he really came into his own. Those are two yeah. things we should be looking at, especially I, I think in future years as we try to figure out who the Chiefs may take is like small schools and they freaking love them some senior bowl. Like if you somehow right. stand out at the senior bowl, I, I think they weigh that very, very heavily, which is amazing just considering like you have four years or three years of college film and it's like this one week can really determine if you're going to be in Kansas City or not. But uh, a lot of teams do that and, and for good reason because you're seeing the best of the best uh, go up against each other. I think this, and I had mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I'll just lean back onto that point. So in the draft, you saw you saw a Trevon Walker go, Aiden Hutchinson, Thibodeau, uh, Jermaine Johnson went at 26, who the Chiefs could have had, and they get Karloftis. And my guy Spags gets on the phone, and he goes, I'm telling you, I know I'm, I know I'm saying this now, but we had you at the top of our board and I know I'm just not saying it. So if you got the top defensive end on your board at 30 and that is real, there's no other answer to this question, right? Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> like, but that cannot be true. Right. I don't know how that, but if it is, uh, that, I'm going to go with that. I'm, I'm going to trust bags that he was not just blowing steam, a poor George's ass. And I'm going to say, 
that he was the top defensive end on there. But he definitely has the measurables. I mean, if you really look, six four two seventy five, that is a big ass. Like that, what that's what Spags likes at the position. So, who knows? Maybe Karloftis was really the guy that Spags wanted, and they get him at number thirty. Uh, which would be embarrassing to all these other teams that passed on him. Really, every well, I think team. the most important point here is that we need to have a Pete Sweeney coach impression on the show every week. <laughs> that was really great, Pete. Thank you. Thank you for uh, that. No problem. My no day. problem. If you if you want to see what I'm talking about, go to the draft calls. I mean, the Chiefs yeah. have put these these out on Twitter, but he has this conversation with Carl Loftus, and he's like, "Yeah, you were our guy the whole time." <laughs> if that's true, there's no other answer to this question, regardless of what Williams and Kennard. Uh, are able to put together but uh look that's a a draft recap show we went a little bit long today so apologies on that i hope you enjoyed the the bonus content here about you know 12 13 minutes but uh we appreciate you listening to the airhead pride podcast network we encourage reviews if you like the airhead pride podcast network you like our shows please leave us a rating and a review we'll read it right here on the airhead pride editor show thank you to deputy editor john dixon thank you for steve Serta for all the, the background stuff and then joining us for this uh end of the show roundtable Uh, And thank you. Uh, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editors Show.